Hi, you're listening to a Sydney Writers' Festival podcast. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded live as part of the 2022 festival. Enjoy. Kicking things off is the extraordinary Jackie Huggins. Uh, Jackie is a Bijara and Biragabajuru from Queensland. Her involvement in Aboriginal affairs spans four decades in community, non-government and government spheres. She has been extraordinarily influential, influential in the reconciliation space, on women's issues, social justice and education. Uh, Back in 1998, she published her book, Sister Girl, Reflections on Titaism, Identity and Reconciliation. And it was a kind of collection of essays about the, the things that she'd studied, the things in her community, the kind of ideas that she was keen to share. It was re-released uh, earlier this year, 25 years on, and I would like to think that the environment and the context into which it was being published had changed. Uh, but uh, I would leave that question to Jackie, perhaps. She's also just brought out her biography of her father, Jack of Hearts, QX11594, uh, which is a wonderful book. Please welcome the extraordinary Jackie Huggins. Wadamuli. I wish to acknowledge the Gadigal people from the Eora Nation and to thank Uncle Alan for his most gracious, gracious welcomes. The last time I was in this hall was at Charles Perkins' funeral. Rest in peace, a great, great man. Changing my mind is not easy, for I am a stubborn Leo. <laughs> Once I get a thought in my head, it sticks, and it takes heaps for me to change it, unless I am presented with a logical and serious argument. The only two people who can, in fact, change my mind are my Leo overthinking son? Can imagine the household we come from, and my mother was a Leo as well. <laughs> and of course, my most loving Aquarius sister. Maybe I should start about when I haven't changed my mind in order to answer when I have. I haven't changed my mind about governments changing their minds to work with Indigenous peoples. They pay lip service and do not follow through. They set up their own alternative structures when there are representative bodies already in place which have been set up by Indigenous peoples themselves and voted nationally from a membership. For example, the National Congress of Australia's First Peoples, duly defunded by the Feds three years ago. As co-chair of this fine organisation, I state my conflict of interest here. 
Sadly, during the most rewarding and challenging time of my career, I was left with Congress on drip feed over my two-year watch. We did our best to point out where government could work with our mob. The Redfern Statement, just launched down the road here in 2016, was the blueprint to address the disadvantage and inequality still besetting our communities today. It pleaded to governments and other stakeholders to work with us and take action. Not rocket science, is it? We've been saying this for decades. It was clearly ignored and overtaken by yet another alternative structure, the Coalition of Pigs, mainly service providers who clearly cannot criticise government as independent Congress continually did. And tell me, tell me, how many inroads have we made since then? All targets in the Close the Gap, apart from three, have not been met. Need I say more? Anyway, enough of my political ramblings, as I am sure I will get some stick over mentioning this tonight. However, I feel at the bookends of my career now, so I can shirt front the government without fear or retaliation. <laughs> and losing funding for that matter, because it has gone. That is the feds, not the state who I applaud in Queensland for their guts and tenacity to provide a huge investment, $300 million, in their last budget to embark on a treaty treaties process. So they're all not bad. Something which I hope to devote my time to as well as writing more books. In my book, Sister Girl, I have a chapter called Queensland is the clock back 100 years. Well, yes, I know you're from New South Wales and state origin and all that, but please hold it. It was a piece in which I believe nothing much has changed for our mob, and still today, this remains the case. Evidence to this are the high incarceration rates domestic and family violence, child protection statistics, health, housing, just to name a few, and I could go on and on and on. Sure, I concede that education is one of the key points that has grown in stature, and we are seeing many of our children being taught better and better educated than that, those of us from the previous generations. And this means all children, by the way. When I learnt about the kings and queens of England, 
Today, children learn about the stolen generation, the constitution, the participation of Indigenous soldiers at war. At least in the school where my sister teaches, Milton in Brisbane. This may not be the case in other schools, but at least it is taught by a black teacher. My sister, Nairi Jaro, who has co-authored my latest book, Jack of Hearts, QX11594, a biography of our father who died at the age of 38. He's a POW in the Burma Railway in World War II. So what else has changed my mind? I was 28 years of age and Charlie Perkins was my boss. This was the first time government had ever sought the voices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women in program and policy development. I then headed the DAA Aboriginal Women's Unit in Canberra. Being so young, it was daunting. I was in charge of 50 women all over the country. Some of these women were in their 50s, which I thought in those days was so, so old. <laughs> but now, of course, they are very much my junior. Running at the same time was the Aboriginal Women's Task Force headed by the late Phyllis Daylight and Mary Johnston, who had 12 members. We gallantly worked together when it was thought the two groups would clash. That was the dignity and the tenacity of our women back then. We combined our efforts to make sure our reports crisscrossed and were speaking the same truths. There was no social media or trolls, and we did our work on typewriters. Well, how could we not? As many of us, including myself, worked in typing pools before that. Fast forward to 2020, when the Thangani Women's Voices Report was tabled in federal parliament in December by our first female social justice commissioner, June Oscar. Again, I was on that steering committee to produce the report. Among the new inclusions are Close the Gap, Climate Change and Suicide. But apart from that, nothing has changed in 35 years. This is another blueprint for change and I urge governments and other stakeholders to action it. Now what's changed also is the renaissance of first Australians art, culture, film, music, dance, song and literature. We had it in the 80s, however, never on the scale that we have now. It is everywhere and taken up more by uh, vast audiences, people who are awakening, not awokening, <laughs> to the beauty and the presence of First Peoples. 
I love that and happy to see it happening in my very lifetime. So keep supporting us and buy our books at the festival. These are all truth-telling vessels in their own way. I have been in publishing exile for 24 years, trying to save the world with not much luck. In reconciliation, National Congress of Australia's First Peoples and Treaty for Queensland, just to name a few of the social justice things I have been working on. Until Sister Girl, UQP was published in February this year. And Jack of Hearts, QX11594 in April by Magabala Books. They tell me it's a very brave person to do biographies on their parents. My earlier one, Auntie Rita, was published in 1994. And it's even worse to publish two books two months apart in the same year. Am I crazy or what? I do feel I have to do this as those bookends I spoke about are fast approaching. So now I have three books in my head. My dream of giving up paid work when I am 70 and travelling and writing is not that very far away. My work in Treaty for Queensland would be making inroads by then and COVID will be like the flu, as they tell us. I hope to truly rest out of the political spotlight. What has changed my mind over my lifetime has been that whitefellas and others, migrants and more recently refugees, have a story too. I used to think in my radical days that it was just us who owned this patch. Reconciliation is in my blood. And it took this movement, which I have passionately been involved with close to 30 years now, to realise the sins of my past. Today, we see hundreds of black authors and producers doing their best to do our truth-telling. And now it's time for gubbers and migaloos and all the rest of you to do the same. Respectful collaborations between the races is something that has also changed my mind. I witness it all the time. But we must choose carefully who we wish to collaborate with and not be silenced, dismissed, used and abused, ripped off even. For we have had so much of that in our lifetimes. Let me end on a quote by Henry Johnson, Jr. Let's start a revolution a revolution with no gun, but words and action to inspire the next generation. The truth should make us better human beings. It should create 
It should not create enemies out of ignorance. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. I think you uh, so embody uh, that point about uh, generational influence that you talked about. One of the, there are many uh, ideas that go behind uh, a festival theme, and Change My Mind was in part a reflection of us anticipating the timing of the federal election and feeling like talking about the way we talk to one another and the way we disagree and the way we engage was an important area for us to talk about in the festival this year. But the other part of Change My Mind is that thing to which Jackie was alluding, which is that question about influence, about uh, the books we read, the teachers we have, the conversations we have through our lifetime that shape and changes. And one of the things we're very proud of in the program we put together for the festival this year is the presence of not just extraordinary writers, but writers reflecting as readers on the writers who have come before, their peers, uh, and their influences. And it's an absolute privilege to hear that. Elliot Cobby Eckerman's uh, first book came out about 25 years ago rather than 40 years ago. So we're moving to the present day uh, there. Uh, Ali is a Yankun Jajara poet whose first collection, Little Bit Long Time, was written in the desert and published in New Poet Series back in 2009. Um, Ali is celebrated uh, for her poetry, recognised all around the world. Uh, she's the first Aboriginal Australian writer to attend the International Writing Program in Iowa, and she also received a Wyndham Campbell Award for Poetry from Yale University, uh, and she is joining us remotely tonight. Please welcome Ali Kobiekerman. To join you tonight. And it is my cultural duty and pleasure to acknowledge we are gathered on the sacred and unceded land, the Gadigal people of the Eora nations, and to pay respects to all sovereign Aboriginal and Islander people past and present. We are the truth of our country across all our magnificent nations. I was a little cross when I woke up this morning. The speech that I had plotted and planned over the past weeks suddenly seemed inappropriate. If I'm honest, I woke up feeling angry. And when I'm angry, I'm more honest. This morning, as I thought about the theme, changed my mind. It triggered feelings of frustration that can't be overridden by forgiveness. As a Yankunjara poet, a stolen generation survivor, both a relinquished child and a relinquishing mother, I have learnt to forgive as often as I breathe. I have learnt to forgive the mainstream white society, both past and present, who continue to make policies that diminish me, my people, my family, my faith. And yet I have continued to breathe in this wonderful unceded country, as unceded as my heart, 
because I will not succumb to the ethics of the mainstream that has tried so hard to assimilate me, attempting to steal my core. Change my mind. For me, that term can only reflect my journey from stolen to sovereign. It's been one hell of a ride. Tricked away from my family at birth, I grew up adopted with no knowledge of who I am. I was fortunate to grow up on a farm with a humble, kind family. My childhood filled with wonderful memories of cubby houses and kittens. Hours spent on the tennis court amongst the wheat fields. That long view to Auntie Doreen's house, who invited us over each year to watch the John Martin's Christmas pageant on her television because we didn't have one at home, and who made homemade sausage rolls and cupcakes to make us adopted kids feel special. Trapping rabbits for pocket money, climbing trees and running races, learning about good and evil in Sunday school, picnics in the paddock, waiting for Dad to complete the circuit so he could pull up the tractor and join us for lunch. I remember days at the beach and Grandma learning to drive at 70 years of age because Grandpa had died suddenly and all us children bobbing in the shallows because we knew the car would stall before she could run us over. These were happy, busy days and I was always outside until I discovered reading. Reading became a saving grace to me. The shock of a happy childhood ruined by rape, racism and remonstrations became stripped into my life, written by hands outside my immediate family. I was simply the page. I wondered why some people who went to church didn't know about good and evil as I had been taught. And when the latest edition of the Reader's Digest appeared in the toilet, I lifted it off the windowsill to read the drama in real-life stories. I learnt people could survive bear attacks, avalanches, being lost in the deepest jungle, being lost at sea. These real-life accounts helped to change my mind. If they could survive and find their way, then so could I. As a little girl, I had known the joy of happiness and somehow I always believed I could find it again. I've been a determined person ever since. For many years, I was an angry, wild child. I learnt my honesty through self-forgiveness. A new skill taught by the oldest of my Anagul Aboriginal family, whom I finally found in my late thirties. Sitting in the desert around campfires, learning in a language I am still unable to speak with any fluency. My mind was changed as everything that I had known up to that moment was proved to be a fallacy, a lie. Australia had taught me that my family didn't want me. 
that my mother was a drinker in a park, that I should be grateful for my education because my birth family was dysfunctional, that I should be grateful for my adoption into the German Lutheran family who raised me. And of course, the mainstream forgot I had learnt gratitude as a child, grateful for every kind act that had been shown me that had balanced out the bad. I have even become grateful that through the act of self-forgiveness, the horrid deeds of others could result in an inner strength that was kindling inside me, yet to burst into flames. Poetry changed my life. It gave me a form of self-expression I had not known before. Learning from my old people was changing my perception of self. That I had something to say with the real evidence of lived experience. Through my poetry, I was strengthening my mind, strengthening my resolve to change your minds. Get over it, we hear. Shut up, you sorrow-soaked coon. Do it our way or hit the prison cell floor. But I had already changed. No longer could those words hurt me because I had learnt to master words, words that spoke my truth, words that spoke of incidents that the mainstream find uncomfortable, words that spoke to educate about those policies, those belittling policies, and how the impact of belittlement feels, and how it changes the direction of one's heart. Those feelings of frustration that can't be overridden by forgiveness. First Nations Australian literature is an exciting blessing for us all. Embrace the essence of self-forgiveness as you journey into the richness of our world-class literature. The kindness of our words will guide your hearts to truth because we write with the real evidence of learned experience. However, this may be challenging at first, because as you turn the pages, everything you have known up to that moment will be proved a lie. We are sovereign people on unceded sacred country. I know this statement challenges many of you. Learn the history of invasion to this continent and know we speak the truth. Self-forgiveness is needed here because it is your judgment of us that needs to change. The mainstream media continues to feed the stereotypes of us to you, so evident in the treatment of prized painter Mr Namajira and more recently, the booing of Australian of the Year, Adam Goods. Don't celebrate bits of us and forget the rest. We are people. The stereotypes allow the ongoing removal of children, the ongoing torture of trauma, overriding the intergenerational strength 
that I know we possess. The worldwide shame of deaths in custody, that ridiculous outcome of that trial in Darwin accepted by most. Shame, shame, shame. Yes, I'm feeling a little cross this morning, filled with feelings of frustration that can't be overridden by forgiveness. I can't stop drinking, I tell you true. Since I watched my daughter perish, she burnt to death inside a car, I lost what I most cherish. I seen the angels hold her as I screamed with useless hope. I can't stop drinking, I tell you true. It's the only way I cope. I can't stop drinking, I tell you true, since I found my sister dead. She hung herself to stop the rapes. I found her in the shed. That rapist bastard still lives here, unpunished in this town. I can't stop drinking, I tell you true, since I cut her down. I can't stop drinking, I tell you true, since my mother passed away. They found her battered down the creek. I miss her more each day. My family blamed me for her death. Their words have made me wild. I can't stop drinking, I tell you true, because I was just a child. So if you see someone like me, who's drunk and loud and cursing, don't judge too hard because you don't know what sorrows we are nursing. There is a void inside of me, a cavern filled with water stilled by time. When the solstice arrives, drops of sunlight seep in. Mostly the void is dark, forgotten even in the whispers of the aged. The void is inside me, the imprint of my children whom I did not raise, who were whisked away, the pain of their birth dulled by the pain of their removal. And my body, exhausted, does not respond to the anger inside my mouth, an anger that rises from maternity, centuries of childbirth adhered to nature. I am the experiment, the other trait of sensibility, the unnatural. I have become domestic, domesticated, and you ride me like a horse, tugging my head from side to side, the reins in your hands, bleed the words in my mouth to silence. My eyes fill with fear, careful to watch my every step so as not to jolt you, forcing you to punish me as I have not been punished enough. The void is inside me, my retreat even from myself. I have retreated from the natural world dead inside, dead in a bottle of booze, liquid that soothes, running over scarred ridges inside my mouth, 
scarred by your hands, your responsibility of me and my responsibility to self waits. A huge congratulations to our latest First Nations Literature Award recipient, Bunjalung poet Evelyn Araluan, for the stellar prize. Much respect to my peers, Ani Jackie and Nadi. Sorry I can't join you in person. Have a great festival and please change your mind. We were thrilled that we were still able to get those uh, moving words from Ali and uh, very grateful to her. Um, uh, she did mention Evelyn Araluen uh, recently winning the Stella Prize. Um, uh, you can see Evelyn in this town hall on Thursday night as part of our storytelling gala, or you can see her in events over the weekend. You can also catch Jackie again at Carriage Work. She'll be in conversation with Larissa Barrent and Chelsea Watego at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. It seems like a good way to start your election day, I would have thought. Um, uh, in fact, really, the festival is the only place you're going to want to be during this federal election. Our third and final writer uh, tonight uh, is a Uwalare storyteller from the New South Wales Northwest Freshwater Plains, a musician, composer, and playwright. Nadi's first book, The Song, Song of the Crocodile, which was published by Hachette Australia, came out in October 2020. So if you think about it in deepest, darkest COVID, I was in Melbourne at the time and had been locked down for conservatively my entire life. Um, there was nothing harder than bringing out a debut book at that time. It was one of the things that we knew was even though uh, some publishing, some bookselling was doing okay, it tended to be the known quantities and the established names. And debut writers were in real danger of their books going into the world and disappearing without a trace. Song of the Crocodile was not such a book because it was uh, right out of the gates a masterpiece. Uh, it was the 2018 winner of the Black and Wright Fellowship, shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Literary Indigenous Writers category, and was really one of the uh, extraordinary books of 2020. Uh, and we were determined to get Nadia at last year's festival and again back here tonight to help us open the festival. Please make her very welcome. Yama, my heartfelt respects to Garigal people, Garigal country, and the spirit of their homelands, a place I'm lucky to call home. Last week, I was lucky enough to be working as Birabang Mill, an outside eye on the production of The Last Shot. This is a musical and storytelling work created by my great friend, Troy Russell, a Birupai and Gamilaroi man who lives at Lake Macquarie. He's written songs and stories about the love journey of his great-grandparents, 
a journey they took in the early 1900s through Gamilaroi country. The production is world premiering this Thursday, Friday and Saturday at Blacktown Arts Centre and you can get tickets on the Blacktown Arts website. The last shot is produced by Mugalan Performing Arts. Mugalan is New South Wales' leading First Peoples Performing Arts company. They are a collection of deadly creatives that uplift, empower and celebrate First Nations theatre and performing arts and First Nations artists. The word Mugalan comes from the Yuan and Bunjalung languages and it means to play, to fool about. At the beginning of rehearsal week, we were invited by co-founder and artistic director Lily Shearer, a Murawari Ngimpa woman and last shot director, to introduce ourselves. Lily encouraged us to tell us your name and where your bones are from. We went around the circle, 12 people in all, creatives with bones from all over. New South Wales and Queensland mob, Yualarai, Ngempa, Birapai, Gamilaroi, Wiradjuri, Gabi Gabi, Wailwan, Kuma, Ngimba, Yualiai, brothers and sisters from Samoa, Aotearoa, Chatham Islands, Papua New Guinea, North Africa. The room was fizzing. It moved me to blurt out in my introduction how wonderful it was that we were all drawn together from so many places by two people who lived long ago. Florrie and Jimmy Munro, Troy's great-grandparents. Lily added, that's right, Florrie and Jimmy, I'm just going to say a number, she said. Take 50,000. Just say our people have been around for 50,000 years. You know that equals 2,000 generations? We are a product of at least 2,000 generations. When you measure things in such ways, the concept of change fundamentally changes. Our languages show this. In Yualarai, Burgu is the time of creation, an unmarked always that folds and rolls in and around itself, moving, adjusting, forever being. Burgu is translated as the dreaming, or dream time, or as some are now saying, the every when. Ilalu is our word for stretches of time. It translates as an inordinate amount of time in the past. It simultaneously means an equal distance into the future. Ilalu sandwiches its speaker within this expanse, reducing the self to a fleck a particle, a mere speckle of dust. Both Burgu and Ilalu cast off the stagnation of origin point 
and destination. They disarm the potency and importance of change. Without such anchors, we can imagine ourselves dissolving into a greatness far beyond ourselves and our own experience. In such a place, there is little to note in one lifetime alone. Here, we feel the significance, the weight of the gift given by those that surround us. When embracing the vastness between, between transition, I am held at the centre of a circle 2,000 generations in circumference. Now, of course, I could wax lyrical on, for hours on this stuff, wondrous, magnificent as, as it is, but that don't mean I can do it. Five years ago, when I felt the momentum of a musical career slowing significantly, I decided it was time for a change. I was going to pack my guitar way for good. My songs were slow, the crowds dwindling, stages becoming ominously low. I'm going to try being an author, I told myself. I began making conscious efforts to change the creative ways I engaged and communicated with the world. I was lucky. The shift saw me working with special, beautiful people. Grace Lucas Pennington, a Bunjalung woman, and Caitlin Murphy from the Jinnabara Nation in Queensland were spearheading the editorial team at Black and Right Indigenous Fellowship run out of the State Library of Queensland. They were my editors and mentored and supported me through the writing of my first novel, Song of the Crocodile. Grace, who is a generous, supportive woman, professional, intelligent and kind, always, was helping me with a part of the story that wasn't working the way I wanted it to. Nadi, she urged, how would you respond if I asked, Where's the music in this passage? Her words were a creative epiphany. They were an even deeper cultural gift. Here I was trying to change, cast off the musician, front up as a writer, making it up as I went along. Grace was reminding me to bring it forward rather than change or construct or remake, she asked me to become. Of course, she was right. Annoyingly, editors often are. Grace gently reminded me through a handful of words in a not so great paragraph of my role within the continuance. She asked me to bring all that I was forward, the old as well as the new. She encouraged me to embrace what I had been in the formation of what I wished to become. My guest of honour tonight is my 15-year-old son, Luke. <laughs> to his great relief, I don't make him come to many of these kind of things. 
but son, I wanted you here tonight to mark this occasion, definitely the biggest in my writing career so far, by passing on to you in front of all this mob the reminder Grace gave to me. Son, what it has taken me a lifetime to learn, what makes us important as sovereign Uluroi Murray First Nation people is not what we achieve or how we adjust to, to acquire it. It's not our resilience or our ability to adapt and overcome. What makes us exceptional is that we've been bringing it forward. The oldest living culture on the planet, gifting our becoming to others down the line. You have to bring it forward, son. Everything that you are, the best bits and the worst bits, bring it all forward. Old and new wins and losses, the joy as well as the pain, pass that down the line. Your becoming, your ilalu, your burugu is precious. It's your inheritance. It's also the most powerful gift you will ever give. About 10 years ago, I was asked, along with my great friend, Kalina Briggs, a Wiradjuri Yorta Yorta woman, to perform at the Sydney Writers Festival program launch. The gig was one song in language at the Sydney Theatre Company along with a traditional performance by another wonderful friend of ours, Matthew Doyle, a Murawari man and culture keeper, we were to be the acknowledgement of country for the event. We often get these requests to perform language, a preamble, be the protocol, the thing that needs to be done before the actual event begins, the gig was fine, the people nice, staff dedicated, highly professional. After the song, I felt as I usually do about that stuff, hollow. I knew we had more to give, that our people have more to give, that our creativity and our cultures and their expression deserve more than a footnoted beginning point. Let's just say none of us were booked for our becoming that day. After I packed away my guitar at the side of the stage, with the launch continuing in earnest, claps punctuating the announcement of big-time authors and overseas names, I made a promise to myself. It's something I have never spoken aloud until now. I'm going to talk at that festival one day. <laughs> and I won't have a blooming guitar with me when I do. Burugu. <laughs> 
Ilalu, my becoming. In truth, it was my ego, predicting an improbable, improbable shift with a set of skills I didn't have. But I've got to bring it forward. It was the envious and frustrated and competitive me that spoke those words on the side of that stage. Thank goodness for the realignments of people like Troy and Lily and Grace and Caitlin since that time. They have reminded me to look past myself towards Luke, to Tilly and Louisa, Ernie and Florrie, Bertha and George, Ada and William, Claire and Jack, and to Sissy and Sadie and Mick and Alice and Arthur and Maureen and Bubba and Hawaii, Moran, Rongo, and to Corella and little Melly Jack. These people have entrusted me not with their triumphs, but their journeys. They have given me much more than beginnings and ends. For me, friends, tonight is not about change. My change is incremental, benefiting mostly myself. Tonight, I choose to bring it forward, to become. And son, when you are brave enough to share the beauty and ugliness of all that you are. Not only do you descend from thousands of generations, by bringing your full self forward, you also become their love. My sweetest little boy 
paper unravel the bow and peer inside where treasure stowed. Oh my darling one, my every day, it is colored by your ways. The greenest green, the deepest blues, the orange red and the golden hues go bursting forth beneath the clouds. Dancing through my days with you, ascending past to ten billion stars expanding. Don't. You've been listening to a Sydney Writers Festival podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and go to swf.org.au for more great content.